Hey everyone, this is Derek Stone. And this is Conrad Geringer. And you're listening to the Working Triathlete Podcast. Today, I'm going to sit down with Conrad. We're going to discuss all things Ironman, and the race strategy for the distance. Conrad's actually racing Ironman Indiana this weekend. So we're going to get his thoughts on his race prep leading up to this event. We'll talk about nutrition, pacing, things like that as it leads to the Ironman. But Conrad, I guess leading into this race, you know, you're a couple of days out. How do you feel? Feeling good. Feeling good right now. The taper is in in full force. So uh, I, I took about a 10-day taper. I did my last long ride, I think last Saturday, and it wasn't super long. It was a brick, 56-mile bike, and then I think a four-mile run off the bike and 10-mile run on last Saturday. And, and since then, it's just as a taper should look, just frequent workouts, keeping the workouts shorter and but keeping the intensity up. Obviously, the, the intervals are shorter, but I'm not accruing a lot of fatigue. Purpose is unloading the fatigue, you know, sh- shedding fatigue and maybe losing a little bit of fitness, but ultimately feeling fresher. One other thing about the taper, I actually just wrote an article on the taper for Training Peaks, which should go out soon, but and it was the timing was actually hilarious because it wasn't deliberate that <laughs> I wrote the article as I was personally tapering. But when we think about the things that occur in a taper, it's a lot of interesting things. Everybody just thinks, you know, the muscles repair themselves and all of a sudden you're you're just ready to go, shedding fatigue. But you know, when you reduce your training volume, a lot of interesting things happen. Your plasma volume increase, muscle enzymes increase, the your red blood cell count increases and your power can increase your literally your muscular strength. So it's important to taper for an A race and you know you can enhance performance a decent amount. Studies show 3% is probably par compared to you know if you were to race without tapering. So it, it makes a big difference. So I'm feeling the effects of that, feeling good, chomping at the bit to crush it on Saturday. That's awesome. So I know you mentioned you know the, the plasma volume increases. Do you think that's just a result of like retaining more water too? I know I was listening to the Tour de France or it might have been Lance Armstrong talk about how riders will even ride three to five hours on their off days just so they don't accumulate body weight uh, in, in the effect of water because their body's not not used to uh, sitting around. So they're not, they don't want to retain the water. Yeah. I definitely think that's part of it. And it's funny. I always tell my athletes that it's okay to feel a little bit puffy at the beginning of a long course race, an Ironman or 70.3, because you know, you're going to sweat a lot. You think about an Ironman and you know, if an Ironman lasts anywhere from eight to 17 hours and you're losing a couple pounds per hour, it doesn't matter if you're holding a little bit of extra water weight. You start with the swim, you're going to sweat out a couple pounds there. So you're already going to hop on the bike pretty light and weight doesn't matter that much on the bike. And by the time you get off the bike, you're going to be pretty dehydrated and you're going to be pretty light anyway, but you want those, you want to be a little bit puffy. Your body stores glycogen with, with water. So, you know, if your glycogen stores are topped off, you're going to be storing more water. And as you're going through those stores, obviously you're going to use that water and you're going to obviously sweat out a lot of water, breathe out a lot of water. And you, and you need that. You need, obviously you, you need to be hydrated to have a good performance. So it, it's okay to to be a little bit puffy. I mean, the Tour de France, maybe the analysis is different if you're in a climbing stage or something. Obviously, we want to kind of shape this around 
an Ironman event and we can kind of go back and forth between what you're doing and things like that. But I think we could even just give the listeners like a little bit of a, like a, what, a, what an overview of a plan looks like, or, or maybe even like what some key sessions look like, especially like when you're thinking about a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a 26.2 mile run. You know, that, that's quite the day when athletes are stepping up from a sprint distance or an Olympic, or even from the 70.3 to the full, that's a big difference. It's a big jump. It's, it's a different type of race than, than even the 70.3, in my opinion. That is 100% correct. You know, I would say an Olympic distance and a 70.3 are more similar. An Ironman is something completely different. You're at zone two the whole time, basically. Upper zone two, ideally, with short pops into lower zone three. It's just, it's a much longer day. And you have to go into it with a different mentality. Think, tactics become extremely important. Good athlete can kind of fake a good sprint try or even a good Olympic try. But once you get to the Ironman distance, athletes who are smart and tactically savvy, they tend to shine. And I don't think it's necessarily that they even have more endurance or more physical ability, although that, you know, there are athletes sort of designed to do well in Ironman, but it's just executing the race well. So focusing on nutrition, fluids, being patient, putting out appropriate power, rationing your energy well, and and not burning matches. All of that is important, but the, the most important thing is the nutrition and hydration piece because you're going to be burning through all of your glycogen stores. And if you didn't confirm a good nutrition protocol in training and you aren't vigilant when you are racing about taking in calories and water and, and electrolytes, you're not going to run well. Alternatively, if you know, if you have a good plan, I mean, you, you can feel pretty good throughout a whole Ironman. You know, I'm of the belief <laughs> that a well-executed Ironman should not be that painful. Yes, the last half of the marathon, it hurts. It feels like, you know, somebody's taking a hammer to your quads, but <laughs> It's it's a different kind of pain than kind of feel in a even a 5k race or an Olympic distance race. Yeah, so you mentioned some good components. Obviously, I think nutrition is a huge factor in how well someone's going to succeed. Um, so making sure someone is planning ahead of time what they can consume, what they can't consume, what their body's familiar with, even like pushing the limits of how many calories you can take. But the other thing is like, it's also being patient. You know, it's easy to get ahead of yourself on the bike or even the run. You know, I, I've made pretty big mistakes on the run where you get off the bike and you kind of feel pretty good in a, in a weird way to start mm -hmm. running. It's a different movement and you feel a bit freer than when you get off the bike, but you got to make sure that you're sticking to a, a, a plan, a sound plan. In my opinion, the race doesn't start until the last 10K of the run. You can lose a lot of time <laughs> in that last 10K. It, it's really, it, it's what it all comes down to, honestly. And I've had a walk at the end of an Ironman before for a couple miles, right at mile 20 and cruising, you're feeling fine. But then all of a sudden, you know, if those cramps take over because you went a little bit too hard or you couldn't take in enough fluid, then sometimes you have to walk. And you, every mile you, you could be losing, you know, 12 minutes on your finishing time. And that adds up quickly. If you have to walk three miles, all of a sudden you lose 30 minutes that you're out of contention for Kona, you're out of contention racing to your potential. You're, you're definitely right. And, and when you hop off that bike, 
you need to exercise some willpower because you know I've I found that it's almost essential to run as slowly as possible. And then you look at your watch and your pace and your splits and you're like, how am I running this fast? It feels like I'm running like low zone one. I can't run any slower than this, but it's a weird phenomenon and it affects people differently. Obviously, if if you overcook the bike, you're going to feel maybe terrible the entire run. (laughs) But, you know, if you're fit, you prepare well, you know, an Ironman is you're going at an all day pace. It's not like you're, you're suffering that much. So people should not be afraid of an Ironman. I mean, they should respect it and prepare well, but it's not like you're asking your body to do something that it, it can't do or no matter what. Like if you race at, a, at an appropriate intensity factor for your fitness, a lot of athletes would be able to, to complete an Ironman, even if they didn't, they never thought they could or they would. But you know, preparation is is key <laughs> for it. And if you don't put in the work, line up at an Ironman, you're gonna have a long day. You're gonna have a painful day. So I know, like either distance, like the 2.5 mile swim, the 112 mile bike, or the the marathon, can seem pretty daunting, especially when you start to pair it together. But once you start to put the training together, and once you just start the day, it, it kind of just falls into place, you know. But mm-hmm. um, let, let's pretend for a second we're just talking to an audience that you know it's someone they're 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 gonna do their first Ironman. You know, I, there's certain things that I like to have athletes do as far as preparing their body and just mentally getting them in a, a position to know they can complete it. Obviously, one I think it's pretty standard is getting several century rides in or or four, five hour rides, you know, depending on the athlete and. I think it's a mm-hmm. big component, you know, just getting your body used to being on a bike for for that amount of time. Ironman, it's kind of all about the bike. It's the longest discipline by duration and distance by a pretty big margin. And if you're not strong on the bike, you know, you're you're not going to have a a super great day because it influences the run. Obviously, it's not like you need to do ten century rides before an Ironman. Uh, but you do need to spend some time on the bike and you need to confirm that your saddle works, your position works, because the worst thing is, you know, being three hours into an Ironman bike leg and just being in excruciating pain. Your, if your neck is, is hurting, that sucks. And, and that's going to influence, or your lower back is tight and, and aching. It's going to influence your, your mood. It's going to influence your efficiency on the bike. Uh, you're not going to be able to relax. You're going to be a little bit stressed out. So, you know, cortisol levels might be higher, adrenaline might be higher than if you were comfortable and just focusing on relaxing, relaxing the neck, and and getting into the flow state and turning over the pedals. That's that's the ultimate goal in an Ironman to just get in that groove where you're just clicking off miles, holding that power steady, allowing the miles to pass by. Because if if you're in pain and you have to keep sitting up because your your back hurts or something, you're going to be going way slower than if you were you had a position that was appropriate and optimized and 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 comfortable and aero. So bike fit is really important and you need to do long rides like you're saying to to confirm that the bike fit works. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, also yeah, just like you mentioned too, just preparing an aero position too. It's one mm-hmm. thing to sit on your trainer and sit in the bullhorns um and mm-hmm. then get down in your aero position for five plus hours or or in some cases some people you know like yourself maybe four and a half hours depending on the bike split but yeah you want to be comfortable and then also you up for success for the run leaning into the run i know i like to have athletes do at least you know one to two 18 to 20 mile runs depending on the athlete mm-hmm. and their, their time commitment too but definitely building that durability and the resilience on the run i think is super important as well 
I, I agree. I feel like that 18 mile mark is sort of the magic number where all of a sudden athletes, they can wrap their head around the marathon distance. And I mean, obviously there are adap- good ad- adaptations that occur there. It depends on the athlete too. It's not like anything magical happens if you do three or four 18 to 20 mile runs, or if you cap it at like 16, I, I genuinely don't think it'll make a huge difference, but you need to string good long runs together week in and week out over a few months. Eight good, say 14 to 16 mile runs, then just or 20 mile runs or something. Overall, weekly volume, I think matters more than how long you, you get your long run up to. But if we're thinking about, especially first timers, you know, they definitely need to <laughs> do their long runs. But it's also an analysis, like at what point are the returns so diminishing? Like for slower athletes, if they're running a five-hour marathon, 20-mile run, <laughs> that might be like a three and a half hour thing, which which is fine. I think you know, three and a half hours if you structure it with like walk breaks and things like that is it's okay. But typically I kind of like to cap it at two and a half hours. I'm a fan of limiting it to whatever an athlete can run in two and a half hours. That's the longest run for Ironman prep. Yeah, that's a good point. Like obviously if you're moving a little bit slower, you're adding a lot more stress in your body and your bones. And this overall, there's a higher risk of injury too, the longer out there, even during training. So the goal is to get the prep in, but also not put yourself in a hole too, to where you can't recover for the mm-hmm. following, following week and following workouts. Exactly. That, that's the key. That's the key. Uh, I mean, even in Ironman training, it's consistency of working out. If you thrash your body and you can't work out for three days after because you're sore or your joints are achy, then you went too hard for that workout and you're not continuing to build your fitness. The body can only adapt to one workout to only so, so much of an extent. You know, it's, you can only reap so much benefit from a singular workout, but you know, a string of, of workouts over time, that, that's how you you transform your body. Having said that, it, it's important for an athlete to do long runs. There are specific adaptations, metabolic, muscles learn how to withstand fatigue. Your central governor doesn't freak out once you've been running for two and a half hours. <laughs> so you need those long runs. I'm not trying to belittle them at all. In any good plan, it should be designed for consistency and the ability for an athlete to execute it over time without burning out. Looking backwards a little bit to the swim, you know, if you, I think if you open up any Facebook page or a slow twitch article, you know, most, I would say newer athletes, maybe even most athletes are concerned mostly about the swim. You know, you're thinking about mm-hmm. 2.4 miles in the water. There's less control over the environment. Uh, there's people yep. around you. You can't just stop and take a breather. I mean, I guess I suppose you can, but it's not as easy as if you're running, you know, you don't always get that forward momentum if you're just stop, unless you're in a river and you're flowing down river. But okay. it's one of those things you have to just get really comfortable in the water and even just get really comfortable in open water and being comfortable mm-hmm. that there's going to be individuals around you that might be moving around in ways that might impact your race and in your mindset too. The big thing is comfort in the water and at a certain point, when, once an athlete is proficient at swimming, they, they have an all-day pace. They should be able to swim until they bonk. The, the biggest issue is, is just being kind of comfortable and, and feeling the water and, and learning how to breathe well. 
when we think about open water swimming at least, but for high performance athletes, it's it's still a long ways to swim. <laughs> and athletes who want a Kona slot, I mean, they need to be swimming around 60 minutes to have a shot and they need to swim a lot. But I mean, I will say when we're working with athletes who are severely time strapped, you know, the swim is always an interesting item to consider. I've, I've worked with athletes who have good swim backgrounds. They swim two times a week and they swim 57 minutes <laughs> for the Ironman swim. And that's happened probably 10 times. Certain athletes in the pool, you know, they might be cranking out hundreds at a certain interval. And then all of a sudden on race day, you know, they're really strong in open water and they throw a wetsuit on them and they can fly and, uh, you know, they can surprise you. I mean, I've worked with athletes who swim in a long course meter pool, you know, they might rep 100s and, and they might come in, you know, above 140, but then they, they'll swim like a 61 or a 62 minute Ironman swim. So uh, that's not uncommon, but then other athletes, they, they just break down in open water. I would say that a feel for the water is more essential in open water than in pool swimming because you don't, obviously you don't have a rest conditions. I think a lot of people try to overpower the swim and they just default to a robotic stroke and they don't kind of work with the ebb and flow of the water and they don't really engaged with what they're doing. I think the bottom line is that an Ironman swim is very long. You need to be fit and you also need to do a lot of workouts in open water so you can manage and deal with the conditions. Yeah. It's easy to lose focus if you can't see the black line below you, or even if you're sighting incorrectly as well. You know, a lot of people lose a lot of time if they're moving across the, the swim course a little bit too much um, and they, they panic you know, they start going the wrong direction. They, they correct themselves. They're adding time on, but yeah, I think the, the athletes that you mentioned that kind of surprise you, if you're a poor flip turner in the pool, you can definitely pick up some time in open water against the athletes that might be more proficient at flip turns. The scrappier swimmers, they often kind of do well athletes with higher turnover. Maybe they don't have the perfect pool stroke. Maybe they don't really have a, a kick driven stroke. Maybe it's more turnover driven, pool driven. They they can be great open water swimmers. Although having said that, did you see, was it Lucas, Lucas Voigt? I know he uh, at Ironman Copenhagen, I think he might've broken the Ironman swim record. He swam. So he's a former swimmer. He was an Olympic swimmer and he, uh, as a professional triathlete now, but he swam 43 minutes at Ironman Copenhagen. And, and I think that that course was actually legit, oh, wow. um, like actually 2.4 miles when they had the New York city Ironman. I don't know how long ago what, was that like nine years ago now or mm -hmm. something. Everybody swam super fast. Cause it was, it was completely downstream with a crazy current. So that one doesn't count, but this one kind of does count. And he has a very smooth, it looks more like a pole style stroke, honestly. What's wild is when you look at a lot of these good swimmers, they look smooth and it looks like their stroke rate is low, but it wasn't. Like his stroke rate, it looked like he was turning over at like 20 strokes a minute or something, uh, like a catch up style, but he was actually turning over at or a little bit over 40 strokes a minute, which is actually pretty fast. <laughs> like most age group triathletes, like that would be, it would be tough for them to maintain that type of cadence. But if you Google it, you can find it on YouTube probably. And it's kind of amazing how smooth he is.
I watched the beginning of that race and everybody knew that he's an incredible swimmer and he's, you know, he's like six foot six or something. He's huge. And uh, everybody hops in the water and there was a swimmer who was really trying to keep up with him because he wanted to draft. So you watched Lucas swimming and it was just this easy sort of effortless kind of stroke. And he's swimming, I don't know, 105 per hundred meters or something. That that other athlete, he was trying his darndest. I mean, his stroke rate was probably up well into the 50s and he was just trying so hard to stay on Lucas's feet, but it just didn't happen. He He gapped the field and crushed everybody. Wow. That's another good point too. Like even you're looking at different stroke types or stroke rates for different courses too, you know, or even if you're thinking about an athlete picking a race specific to their strengths and weaknesses, there's several things you can do that I think across the globe, there's races that are going to cater to just about any athlete. Um, like Chattanooga, for example, it's a downriver swim. It's a long bike. It's a really challenging run that that could cater to someone that might be a, a weaker swimmer and a really strong cyclist and runner. And then obviously you have the different times of year and seasons that are going to impact the the weather. Like obviously uh, Ironman Indiana is going to be probably, I haven't looked at the weather, but I'd imagine it's going to be ideal weather conditions for this race. Yeah. I mean, it's looking good. Last time I looked was maybe a couple of days ago and the high was 75. So not as cool as, you know, I'd probably like it, but let's see Saturday. Oh, she's looks like it's a high of 81 now on Saturday, maybe with some thunderstorms. It's getting hotter, but it's better than when we've raced in Chattanooga and it's been in the nineties. And if it's raining, I don't mind rain when I'm biking or, or running or swimming. Uh, yeah. We'll say, geez, it was <laughs> compared to two days ago, the high temp spikes up six degrees. So this goes and shows you that <laughs> conditions can change. So always bring a wetsuit and also bring the swim skin, uh, be ready for anything. I think if we've learned anything, especially at St. George, you know, weather can change pretty quickly. You know, we, I think going in the race a week or week out, I believe the high was mid by the time race day rolled around, it was it was pretty cool for most most of the day and raining and mm-hmm. obviously some terrible conditions. But yeah, obviously, you know the point is you you can select races that are going to be they're going to help you accomplish the goals you want, and and that's a big part of of racing too. You know, obviously, oh yeah, you can, you can cherry pick races or you can pick fast courses, but you can also just pick a race too that you you think you're going to do better at against the field as well. I've never done well at a hot Ironman. I'm from the North and I just don't exercise well in heat. I mean, it's the issue is that my sweat rate is over five pounds an hour and it is on a hot day. I just run out of fluids. You can't take in enough fluids to replenish that. That's why I picked Ironman Indiana because, you know, in theory, it had a higher likelihood of being cool. The best races that I've, the best Ironman races that I've had. I think of like Norseman and Louisville and Arizona, where I've gone, you know, low nines, it's been mild. And I've been able to just replace a lot of the fluid loss. Races like Chattanooga and Texas, it's just, I stop sweating. <laughs> and it's, it's tough to, uh, you know, have a good performance. You end up slowing down a lot on the run. Uh, so that, that's one smart thing. And then also for the swim, you know, I, I swim a lot faster in a wetsuit like a lot of triathletes. And so it makes sense. It's smart to target a swim that is you're pretty much guaranteed to 
to have the ability to swim in a wetsuit, it could be worth 10 minutes, honestly. Yeah. Um, you got to know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and, and be smart picking races. Within our working triathlete community, we, we're going to have a webinar next week for the, for the members, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, you know, race selection, kind of planning out your training season. Uh, we'll have a webinar next week where we, we discuss that in, in more depth. But Indiana, it, you know, this maybe there isn't a huge reason to discuss this because this is the la- the first and supposedly the last year that they're going to have an Ironman Indiana. It's a lake swim. It's a pretty flat bike, and then it's a pretty challenging run. Think of it as maybe a a runner's race. A runner would benefit here. Um, a lake swim, you're not going to have the benefit of a current, so a swimmer could do well here. Maybe a weaker cyclist might want to target this race if they're looking to you know, do well against the field because it's just decently flat. So one thing I was thinking about too is obviously everyone has a goal. You know, Kona is a big, big topic right now too. And many races have been changed recently to having 26 slots, which yeah. you know, comes out to be one slot per age group. Unless that age group has no starters, then it rolls to the next allotted age group that has the highest participants. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with Ironman announcing, you know, two world championships next year, and then the one in Kona, it's gonna be a two day event with the women's field being separate. You know, I wonder if there's any speculation where they're going to increase the slot count as, as things kind of roll out. And obviously over the last two years, you know, there's been a lot of people that have qualified that have been able to race. So mm-hmm. they're kind of, they're kind of backlogged a little bit, but, um, I think in the future, it, it could open the doors to, you know, a higher slot allocation. Yeah. I mean, that that's definitely a possibility. I don't know if that will happen at Ironman Indiana. I know Ironman just announced it about, about a week ago that they're doing Kona over two days. I'm assuming that there'll be 26 slots at Indiana and you, you do need to, you need to be prepared to just win your age group. Personally, I'll take some more risks on the bike, maybe put out a little bit higher power than I typically would in a more conservative race because you just have to, you know, you can kind of gauge against the field in real time. It's, it's a lot tougher. I mean, it's tougher in general to qualify for Kona nowadays than say 10 years ago. Um, I mean, even six years ago, five years ago, you know, you can go mid nines and pretty much be guaranteed that you'd qualify now in the, in the more competitive age groups, you have to go under nine. Everybody's faster. Training is more scientific. Uh, yeah, I think more more good athletes are competing. Yeah, and I think everyone sees what everyone else is doing all the time. You know, you have social media, yeah. and there's that avenue where it kind of opens up the doors. You, even like the pro level, people are getting faster. Chattanooga, there was a yeah. course record set, and granted, like it was a ideal day for the first time in probably race history. The pro field went really fast, you know, and it was, it was kind of incredible. I remember you know, maybe 2015, you had maybe like two or three athletes who went under eight hours ever. I know like Mario, is it Vonacher? <laughs> he, uh, he might've been the first one. Was he the first one to go sub eight? Ironman Atrici. Then I forget who the second one was, but you know, I know you had Tim Don. He held the Ironman world record there for a little bit. Lionel Sanders held it. You know, he went sub eight and it was a huge deal. Nowadays, every single race. I mean, Chattanooga is a tough course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not like particularly, it's not brutal or anything. You know, sub eight is 
pretty legit, even with the fast swim, because that run sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, so the swim and the bike kind of balance each other out because you have a you have a down yeah. river swim, but you have a bike that's four miles long. So mm-hmm. it's probably give or take a couple of minutes, but it's probably pretty close to a standard distance. But yeah, the run course right. is pretty relentless. Yeah, it's horrendous. Yeah, there's a hill named Barton Hill, and it's you go up it four times for some sadistic reason <laughs> during the race and it's everybody walks up it people don't even try and there are uh you know typically spectators posted up with coolers beer and uh squirt guns uh, squirt guns they're offering you a beer obviously i think i'm pretty sure that's against the rules don't don't chug a beer in the middle of an iron man at yeah, least with I, a race I, official i wonder around. yeah yeah because <laughs> bud light used to be a sponsor of these races yeah so I wonder what, what that rule is. That, that's a good one to look up. I mean, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to consume alcohol when you're racing, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm sure that there's a threshold where if they tested you, you'd be disqualified slash, you know, just be suspended <laughs> for a number of months. They probably wouldn't care. You know, if, if it's nighttime and you're going down Barn Hill for the last time, I don't think the, and if, I think an official might turn you know, a blind eye to it or applaud you yeah, <laughs> at yeah. that point. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to look that up, but yeah, any, any route. Yeah. Like people are getting faster. It's making Kona allocations, you know, the slots more difficult to get, you know, obviously this year was a little bit unique to where, you know, they had certain races that had 200 slots. So people had an opportunity to capture that, you know, that might not otherwise have the opportunity to, but I think after this year's mellows out and we standardize things again, you know, in 2022 or 2023, I think we're still going to see some pretty fast times that are competing to earn their spot to Kona. One item we can talk about since this is the Ironman race prep and strategy episode through the lens of me doing Ironman Indiana is to discuss maybe target paces um, for athletes when they, when they go in and face an Ironman, you know, like I said before, it's a zone two effort for the most part, but you know, the specific intensity factor, it's, it should vary depending on the athlete. If an athlete is only going to be out on the course for eight or nine hours, the intensity factor has to be a lot different than if they're going to be out there for 13 to 17 hours or something. Personally, you know, for the swim, the, the, goal is to just go at a steady effort. I always tell athletes just hold 75%. So you should be holding back a little bit in the swim, focus on moving water, moving as much water as possible with each stroke, really feeling that water, finding feet to draft off of if you can, and then just trying to be efficient. Because the, the, the truth is that it's it's a fairly small part of your day. And unless it's a, it's a mass start where you have the opportunity to really get in a pack, there's no benefit to going out hard. So you want to kind of ease into it. It's really tough to warm up well before an Ironman. And, you know, it's, there's also a question of, you know, should certain athletes even bother warming up for an Ironman if they're not contending, you know, for the overall win or top in their age group or a Kona slot, you know, maybe they just use the first mile or, or quarter mile to just ease into the swim and warm up advocate of going conservative for the swim. And then on the bike, most athletes should be shooting for an intensity factor around 0.7, so 70% of their threshold power. Uh, faster athletes, you know, they can target mid 70s or upper 70s. Probably don't want to be a 0.8. You know, maybe certain pros can pull that off, but that's that's tough. So I'm going to target 
right at 0.75 for most of the race and just go off a of feel. And then for the run, it's a zone two effort and you definitely want to save something for the last half, especially the last 10K. And I, I know at at the 70.3 World Championships a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were telling our athletes to uh, hold back a little bit that first lap of the the half marathon because it, same thing in an Ironman. You know, nobody wishes they ran the first half faster once they're at mile 17. You're at mile 17 of an Ironman. It might seem when we're sitting here talking about it that you're you're almost done, but you're not. <laughs> you still have nine miles to go and your legs are barely working at that point. So you really have to focus to recruit those muscle fibers and, and, and everything. And everybody feels good 10 K into the marathon. Uh, but you have to be humble. You have to look at heart rate and you have to kind of hold back. Yeah. All, all good tips there. And you can't trust enough just to be patient too. You know, and, and there's certain elements where people might have to play tactics as a race unfolds, especially if someone's performing at a really high level and you, you're competing against someone to either win the race or you know, obviously pros are winning, playing for money. But if you're trying to podium or get a Kona slot, there, there might be a little bit of tactics as well, but you got to remember too, it's a long race. People might you know, go out a little bit harder than they should. And if you follow them, you might go out a little bit harder too. And the run, I mean, no one, no one, and I, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever going to neg- negative split an Ironman run. Uh, maybe <laughs> it happens, but um, it's possible. <laughs> it's, po- it's possible if you, if you do it correctly. But yeah. the one thing about the Ironman run too, is your heart rate will continue to rise over the course of the run too. So mm-hmm. you got to just make sure you start off at a clip that you know you can maintain and just be aware that if you get ahead of yourself, you know, it's, you're going to lose time on the back end of it. It's all about patience and Iron Man. It can chew you up and spit you out. If you, if you don't respect it, uh, as, as we always say, you can't fake fitness on race day and there are no miracles. You just have to race, race to your fitness level. I mean, you know, there is race day magic. You can have breakthroughs and things like that, but there, there is something to be said for being smart. And obviously the athletes we coach, we know their metrics. We know their threshold metrics. We know their zones and we know what they can do. And it's not like humans are capable of putting forth superhuman efforts. You can put out a great effort, but at the end of the day, you're human and you have to be somewhat humble, I think, <laughs> if you want to actually race an Ironman well. Most fit people with a good plan could accomplish and, and complete an Ironman. It's not like they're an impossible thing. You post up at the finish of any Ironman from 9 p.m. to midnight, you see athletes of all shapes and sizes and abilities and fitness levels. And you know, with a strong mind and a smart plan, y- you can get there. Pretty incredible when you start to see people like that put that effort in all day long. I mean, we had a guy do 101 iron distance, whatever they are. Uh, he did basically 101 Ironmans <laughs> in 101 yeah. days. So that tells you something about a human's ability to, to do an Ironman. It's, it's an incredible accomplishment, certainly, and a bucket list item and uh, something that somebody should be very proud of doing, but we don't want to make it seem impossible, you know? The takeaway too is uh, understanding your your limitations and also testing. So if you know your thresholds, you can obviously put together an appropriate plan. Mm-hmm. Going back to nutrition, just obviously feeling correctly. Basically, the bike is a buffet. You gotta be consuming calories, you know, the entire yep. ride. Otherwise, the run's not gonna be enjoyable at all. And with all of 
the athletes I coach, we do the big day, you know, the, the Ironman big day is somewhat famous in triathlon. It's, you know, you basically ride a hundred to 112 miles and then you run pretty long off of the bike there. And you do this in training. Usually the athletes, you know, we have them run, you know, 60 minutes to 90 minutes, depending on who they are. And that gives them a sense of pacing. Cause you know, you can't just say, you know, bike at a, an intensity factor of 0.72 or 0.75 and, you know, expects an athlete to do it well. Like certain athletes, they can hold a higher intensity factor than others. Um, if an athlete is, is put in a lot of volume and they have a, they're efficient at Ironman pace, you know, maybe they can get away with a 0.76 intensity factor for the bike. We confirm all of this in training. So, you know, obviously the, the big day is, is the biggest day in training and it's the most important for the athletes I work with. We do it. It's important. And the last takeaway, you know, do you want to share any thoughts about your experience going into this race? So this is going to be my sixth Ironman. You know, I feel good going into it last year and early this year dealt with a hip and then an ankle injury. Um, so the run running has been the challenge over the last probably year and a half for this race. My overall volume has been a bit higher than prior Ironmans, you know, prior Ironmans probably average 10 to 12 hours a week with maybe six weeks in the 13 to 14 hour range in every build. This build, I had a few weeks up around 20 hours a week. I bet you I averaged maybe 16 hours a week for the last three months or so. A lot of that was on the bike. Still, a run fitness is solid, but it's not tip-top peak. So we'll have to be conservative there, somewhat conservative there, but spent a lot of time in the pool. Um, So I'm an adult learned swimmer, just like many athletes, many triathletes. And uh, you know, at a certain point, to get better at swimming, one needs to just spend more time in the pool. So I averaged probably around 15k a week in the water for the last few months. You know, volume has has been higher. We'll see how that pays off on race day. But you know, when we think about an Ironman macro cycle, you know, I'd say that you know most athletes could certainly pull one off on by averaging 10 to 12 hours a week, and I think they could do decently well on that. Obviously depends on the athlete. And for an Ironman, more volume is better. Everybody's different. And the fact is you don't need to train 20 hours a week to do a good Ironman. If you honestly, with good 70.3 training, you know, I think most athletes, if they had, you know, a good 70.3 build, and then they had three months, they could get to the starting line of an Ironman and complete it safely and uh, at a pretty high percentage of their overall potential, but you know, certainly not 100% because volume matters in Ironman training. Yeah, it sounds like you've really put some work in this this year, and I'm excited to see how you do. Can't wait to uh, follow along on race day. Thanks. We'll see. We'll see. Can only control what I can control on race day, but the hay is in the barn, as we yeah. say. I'm looking forward to it. You're certainly patient, talented, and I'm confident you're going to execute to a T, whatever you map out. So we'll see. And if I don't, we'll have something great to talk about on the next podcast. Absolutely. (laughs) Where it went wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to go wrong. It's going to go well. Yeah. Or we're going to have a great thing to talk about in the next podcast. So right, (laughs) it's one or the other. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, If you need to reach us, you can reach me at Derek at workingtriathlete.com. You can reach me at Conrad at workingtriathlete.com. 